Please turn with me to your study outlines and your program. And as we're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our uh, friends in Arco, Idaho at the Baptist Community Church and Purpose Church, Kalispell, Montana, and our new friends at Clear Creek, uh, Idaho. We are so glad that you're joining us now for our study of God's Word. We're continuing our summer series called The Journey, based on the book of Deuteronomy. And today we're going to talk about controversy on the journey. It's based on Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30. Deuteronomy 29, verse 9. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything that you do. All of you standing here today in the presence of the Lord your God, now this is 1400 BC, all right? This is uh, uh, 3400 years ago. Uh, They're making a covenant. And so who are the kind of people that in 1400 BC in the Middle East who, who make covenants? Well, the first ones make sense. Your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel. Now, here's the part that you will not find in 1400 BC. Together with your children, children making a covenant, and your wives, women making a covenant, and the foreigners living in your camp. You know, I said this as we've gone through Deuteronomy. You can just see so many of God's fingerprints all over the book of of Deuteronomy. Uh, Things that were thousands of years before their time, especially in the moral code. You know the tremendous irony I find is people will, will mock parts of the Bible for being archaic. You know the only reason we think they're archaic is because of the pervasive influence of the Bible through centuries going uh, through uh, people that share the gospel of Jesus Christ in different cultures. It's because of Jesus. It's because of the the, the teachings of the Bible going around the world and within our society. When they have that impact, then things that used to be normal don't seem normal anymore. So I find it so ironic that the Bible is criticized for being archaic, and the only reason we say that is because of the influence of God's word in cultures down through the centuries. Now, we just see things that were thousands of years before their time. I mean, this is such a supernatural book. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about medical practices in, uh, in, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, De- Deuteronomy, that were 3,300 years before science discovered them to be true? How many of you were here for that particular message? And I usually don't push my own stuff, but, you know, if, if, if you get a chance to listen to that online, that is like one of my favorite messages ever, because it just is like astounding. How did that stuff get in there that scientists and and medical researchers didn't discover for 3,300 years? I mean, it's just God's fingerprints all over it. Uh, Another one we're going to highlight. Next Sunday, if you think that message was astounding, wait until next Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm going to share some stuff that has happened historically, prophetically, through what we see in Deuteronomy that is just going to blow your mind. It's astounding stuff. Again, God's fingerprints on the Bible, but particularly the summer we've been looking at Deuteronomy. But here's another one we're going to talk about today. Concern for the care of immigrants. You would never find this kind of concern for foreigners in any other culture, any other culture. uh, It just would be non-existent. And so concern for the care of immigrants is something that is just an astounding, doesn't belong there. What's that doing in that time period in God's word? And you see it all throughout the book of Deuteronomy. 
How many of you have been just blown away by that? As you go through Deuteronomy, you just find it again and again. It's one of like the major two or three themes of the book of Deuteronomy. So because of that, today we're going to talk about what does the Bible teach about immigration. And the subtitle to this message is, Has Glenn Lost His Mind? Okay, that, that is the subtitle of this. Has Glenn Lost His Mind? This is the type of message you preach before you're going out of town for a month, not when you come back for good. And I'm, I'm good to go for the months ahead. I'm, I'm back for good. This is the kind you preach, and then you run out of town. It's not the type when you come back. But even though I am back in town, if you have any criticism or complaint about this sermon, here's the email that you should send your, uh, your, your complaints to. Okay, send them to eholmstrom at purposechurch.com. Send, send your criticism and your complaints out. Now, as we dig into this, I want you to turn to the person next to you and, and repeat after me. If Pastor Glenn is stupid enough to talk on this subject, okay, right now, say it out loud. If Pastor Glenn is stupid enough to talk on this subject, in this current political climate, in this current political climate, let's give him lots, let's give him lots, and lots, repeat after me, and lots, and lots, repeat after me, and lots of, of grace, of grace, okay, let's give him lots of grace. Now, one of our core values here at Purpose Church is fearless honesty. So that means we don't avoid hard subjects. And another benefit of systematically going through parts of the Bible like we've been doing through Deuteronomy is because the Bible talks about just about everything. So when you systematically go through God's word as we do here as a church, we will talk about just about everything, including this subject that is such I mean, I have to admit, when I chose it, I didn't know it was going to be as hot as it was. You know, I, I knew I was going to do this, like I planned it like a month or two ago, and oh my goodness, the last month has made it even hotter. And this is the guide we're going to use for this discussion. Micah 6, verse 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's read this out loud together as a church family, okay? Out loud together. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You know, the book that the founders of our country used um, more than any other book, it's quoted more than any other book by those that started our country, was the Bible. And the book of the Bible that they quoted more than any other book was the book of Deuteronomy. And the verse that they quoted more than any other verse in the founding of our country is this verse right here. And you know, maybe we need to get back to this verse once more. Anybody want to say amen to that? Maybe we need to get back to this thing. This is the, the verse more than any other verse that our country was founded on. Trying to find that balance between acting justly and loving mercy and get back, get back to humility. Get back to humility uh, before our God. And so this is the three parts of this message. Uh, first, the first part of it is going to be to act justly. The case, the case in the Bible for law and order. Uh, the second part is going to be love mercy. The case from the Bible for compassion. So the case for law and order, the case for compassion, and then walk humbly with your God. Um, uh, uh, the fact that we don't have all the answers. We need to be humble and realize that we just uh, uh, don't have all the answers. And I want to say this as we dig in. 
that uh, there's so much demonization of the other side on all political issues, but particularly on this one. Um, you'll have people that just accuse the other side, oh, you're a bunch of anarchists, and you don't believe in any rules, and no law, law, law and order. And there are some people like that. I don't know any within our church. Okay? And then their uh, demonization of the other side, they say, oh, you're a bunch of racists and you just hate people and you, and you, and you hate children. And, and there are people like that in our nation. I just don't happen to know any within our church. And, and I know I'm biased, but I just don't find that within our church family, you know, or, or really within the body of Christ. I, I just don't find that. Um, everyone I've met in our church is for some type of law and order. Everybody I know in our church is for law and order. I mean, after all, the roots of our church are Baptist. Nobody's more law and order than Baptist, right? <laughs> you don't say Baptist, B-A-P. You say B-A-B, Baptist. Okay, Baptist. Are, we, we are known for law and order people. We're, so the, everybody I know in our church is, is for law and order. Everyone in our church is for compassion. I haven't met a single person in our church that I don't consider you know, uh, somewhat for compassion. I mean, this is how I back this up. Everybody I'm talking to right now either lives in Pomona or you drive to church in Pomona, okay? Everybody here either lives in Pomona or you drive to a church that's in the heart of Pomona. You have intentionally chosen to identify with people in need. You don't talk the talk. You as a group of people walk the talk, or you drive the talk, okay? Every time you drive by a church that's in a nicer neighborhood or a more affluent area to come to Purpose Church, you are saying by doing that, I choose compassion, I choose diversity, I choose mercy. And that's why I love you so much. That's why I love getting home. Because I, I love the people of our church. And I'm not saying we're perfect. Oh, my goodness, that's why I'm preaching this sermon. Okay, because we're not perfect. God's word is perfect. But we need to bend more and more to God's word. Because we're not perfect. But I'm telling you, everybody I know within our church family believes in law and order. And everybody I, I know believes in compassion. Now, uh, here, here's the key. I believe that we end up strategically on this issue depending on how we hold law and order and compassion in balance with each other. That's where I believe we end up in different places strategically or even politically. That is, that is all of us, when we hold these two in balance with each other, some of us put our thumb just a bit on the law and order scale, and so we end up in a certain direction. And some of us put our thumb on the compassion part of the scale, emphasize compassion, and so we end up in a different place. We all believe in both, and, and we all think we're 50-50. I have to admit, preparing this sermon, I'm like, wow, I really think I'm 50-50 on this. No, I'm not. That's my blind spot speaking. I'm sure I, God's word is, is balanced, but I'm not balanced. And so each of us believe in both those things. Let's not demonize each other. Let's not stereotype each other. But I will say that we each emphasize one or the other, and so maybe we end up in different places. Now, as Americans, the great American experiment has been trying to balance law and order and compassion. That, that is the great American experiment, to balance those two things.
Emma Lazarus was a poet who wrote uh, a poem called The New Colossus on immigration. And it's a long poem, but here's the most famous part of it that's on the base of the Statue of Liberty in New York City. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And so Steve Cable kind of um, shares how these two uh, interact with each other. He says, one position promotes honoring God through obeying the law, focusing on the responsibility of the government to provide for the security of its people. A second position focuses on our responsibility to care for the needy, particularly the alien and the stranger, is what the Bible calls it. We would call it uh, immigrants, uh, or some translations like the one we're using today says foreigner. The third position assumes this is an amoral, that is, it's not in the moral realm, it's a political and economic issue that the church is wise to stay clear of. Uh, Dr. Richard Land writes about this. He says, we have the right to expect the government to fulfill its divinely ordained mandate to punish those who break the laws and reward those who do not. Uh, Romans 13, the one that we're going to read here uh, in, in just a moment. We also have a divine mandate to act redemptively and compassionately toward those who are in need. Now, I want you to know, I'm going to try to be as balanced as possible. I'm so neurotic about this. Okay, this just is an insight into my craziness, and you'll sympathize with my wife more now, okay, with Kimberly. I, I have literally gone through and counted the lines of Scripture and quotes on both sides to see that they are equal. I've literally gone through, uh, sometimes I'll take a ruler and measure in the outline, you know, uh, how long it is. I've literally gone through and made sure that the Scripture and the quotes are equal. And if I am imbalanced in any way, it's not from lack of trying. And my prayer, which I have every Sunday, what particularly I have this Sunday, is that anything that's of Glenn and not of God, that you'll forget by the time you get to your car in the parking lot. Or you'll forget by the time you get to your life group uh, later on. That's, that's my prayer. But, and and I, even, I even struggled with this a little bit. I thought, you know, Glenn, what do you have to offer to this? I look across here, and, and many of you, through your life experience, through where you work, um, you have way more experience on this than me. You're, you're much smarter on this issue than I am. Okay, that's true of almost every Sunday, all right? But, but I'm just telling you, I, I look across here. Many of you have lived in Southern California longer than I have. Um, you, 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 you yourself have, have immigrated to the United States. Um, you yourself are in law enforcement. I, I don't know what it is, but just looking across this audience, you all are, 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 have way more to share about it. But here's where I can help. Here's what I can do, is I've put together scriptures from God's word on each side of this. And I'm just going to share those many times without a whole lot of commentary. And, I, and I'm just asking for all of us to be open to God's word. Holy Spirit, like that praise course we sing, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And I'm just praying, that because as I've interacted with these passages, God has begun to change my heart. And so I'm asking you, now half the scriptures, if, you're, if you feel passionate about this issue, half the scriptures I share, you're going to be like, yeah, right on, preach it, Glenn. And the other half are going to highly annoy you. I just want to give you a warning, okay? They're annoying. But even particularly the passages that annoy you, let's be open as a church family to let God's word work in our heart 
And how that ends up practically and strategically, that's between you and God. But what my role can be as your pastor is is to share with you um, what God's Word says. So let's dive in. First of all, to act justly, the case for law and order. Uh, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. I'm just going to read it because it kind of speaks for itself. Paul writes to the church um, that was following Jesus in the city of Rome. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. Uh, For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And if honor, then then honor. Uh, At the time that Paul wrote this, He was writing to people that were in the Roman Empire. And the Roman emperor at this time was Nero, who was one of the worst leaders, one of the most notorious leaders in all of human history. The people he's writing this to had laws that were unfair. Uh, They had laws that were unjust. They even had laws that were evil, and yet he still tells them to submit to those as a way of worshiping God. Peter puts it this way. He said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Uh, Paul wrote to one of his younger pastors that he was mentoring named Titus. He said, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. Now, the Bible only gives one exception. And that's if the government forces you to disobey a command of God. If if the government forces you to disobey a command of God, and that's a high standard, then you are to disobey. Uh, Christians, for example, like Corey Ten Boom, uh, who hid uh, uh, Jewish people uh, from the Nazis uh, during World War II. That's what that's talking about. Or in countries uh, like the one that was just being shared about, where it's illegal to be a Christian. Uh, where to disobey uh, those government laws. Or whenever the government asks you to do something uh, that you believe disobeys God. Uh, Peter, who just wrote those words about submission to authority, here's what he said in Acts 5, verse 29. Uh, Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Um, And so to summarize this position is S. Michael Houdman kind of writes the summary of it. What is the biblical, this is from the law and order perspective, okay? From the law and order perspective, from the case for law and order, uh, here's how he summarizes. What is the biblical solution to illegal immigration? Simple, don't do it. Obey the laws. If it is your conviction that an immigration law is unjust, do everything that is legally within your power to get the law changed. 
pray, petition, vote, peacefully protest, etc. As Christians, we should be the first to seek to change any law that is unjust. At the same time, we are also to demonstrate our submission to God by obeying the government he has placed in authority over us. And so Proverbs 22, verse 28 says, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. The Bible seems to say that borders are legitimate and, and, and they're important. Deuteronomy 19, verse 14. Do not move your neighbor's boundary stone set up by your predecessors and the inheritance you receive in the land the Lord as God is giving you to possess. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 8 when the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when he divided all mankind, he set up boundaries uh, for the people. Now, the controversy comes, and the difference of opinion comes, and the debate comes as to how to enforce those boundaries. But the Bible does seem to say that a nation has the right to set up boundaries. Now, we've got to be very careful, because Israel was a theocracy. Theos meaning God. It was a dictatorship uh, by God, a theocracy. So there are not perfect parallels uh, between a theocracy, theocracy and a modern nation-state, uh, democratic state um, like the United States uh, today. But what we're looking for here is biblical principles. We're not looking for specifics. Okay, that's for you and God to figure out, and it's to influence how you vote and what your strategy is and what, what approach you, you support. Uh, that, that's for you and God to figure out. But what we're looking for here is some biblical uh, principles that can guide us in coming up with our convictions. Uh, Numbers 34, verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites and say to them, When you enter Canaan, the land that will be allotted to you as an inheritance is to have these boundaries. Now, we're going to go to an Ezekiel passage that is kind of a transition now for the case for law and order to the case for compassion. It's an interesting passage that you could actually use both ways on this debate. Uh, Ezekiel 47, verse 13. This is what the sovereign Lord said. These are the boundaries of the land that you'll divide among the 12 tribes of Israel as their inheritance with two portions for Joseph. And then it skips down to verse 21. You are to distribute this land among yourselves according to the tribes of Israel. You are to allot it as an inheritance for yourselves and for the foreigners residing among you and who have children. You are to consider them as native-born Israelites along with you. They are to be allotted an inheritance among the tribes of Israel. So now we continue uh, with the case for compassion. To love mercy, uh, the case for uh, compassion. And Steve Cable uh, kind of overviews this particular position. He says, another important consideration is whether Christ's directive to show compassion to the needy should be our primary concern in establishing and enforcing immigration policy. Those who promote this case point to two primary principles in the scriptures. Number one, treat the alien in our midst with fairness, remembering that we too are aliens. And it's so interesting how God has used people moving from one country to another. He's used that down through history, spiritually in the lives of people, and to fulfill his, his purpose. Abraham and Sarah uh, were called to be immigrants uh, from Iraq uh, to what is today the nation of Israel. Uh, the whole nation of Israel were immigrants from Egypt through the wilderness to what is today the nation of Israel. Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph, were immigrants from Israel to Egypt, lived there for a number of years, and then migrated back uh, to Israel once again. 
Uh, And then the second point he says here is minister to the least of these as unto Jesus himself. And so in Matthew 25, verse 40, the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Orlando Espen uh, writes, Welcoming the stranger, the immigrant, we would say today, is the most repeated commandment in Hebrew scriptures, with the exception of the imperative to worship only the one God. And the love of neighbor, especially the more vulnerable neighbor, is doubtlessly the New Testament's constant command. Max Licato writes, For years I thought my assignment, or the church's assignment, was to articulate the gospel and nothing more. Now I believe that if we don't support the verbal expression of the gospel with physical demonstration of compassion, we are not imitating Jesus. Uh, Jorge uh, Ramos who's called the the Walter Cronkite of Latin America. How many of you are old enough like me to know who Walter Cronkite is? Anybody remember Walter Cronkite? You know, um, when I do that at 11.11, people are going to go, Walter Cronkite, does he have a podcast? I mean, is he, is he, is he on YouTube? Uh, who, who's, who's Walter Cronkite? Anyway, um, um, an old guy journalist, for those of you. JT, old guy journalist. Okay, that's who that is. All right. The greatest nations are defined by how they treat their weakest inhabitants. The greatest nations are defined by how they treat their greatest inhabitants. And so we find in Leviticus 19, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. Because in that day, foreigners would always be severely mistreated. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself, for you We're foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And there's a common theme. Remember that you yourself were foreigners in Egypt. The Bible tells us to remember our own past. Um, In in our family, uh, two of our children um, were immigrants from Colombia, South America. And so we went through the whole citizenship process that took years um, uh, with them. Uh, Four of our children's seven cousins are immigrants from Vietnam and South Korea. Uh, so a majority of our kids' cousins uh, and a majority of our children are either first or second generation immigrants. Uh, two of our children are second uh, generation. I'm third generation. Uh, two of our children are fourth generation. And, and my wife, Kimberly, Kimberly's an immigrant. Her ancestors came here on the Mayflower. So, uh, you know, you got to go back um, about 50 uh, generations uh, to, get, to, to get to that one. Let's do a poll within our church family, okay? How many of you here are first-generation immigrants? Let me see your hands. Okay, there we go. Right on across. Okay, look at that all over. Okay, very good. How many are second generation? Let me see your hands. Okay, we got a second generation. How many are third generation? How many third generation? Okay. How many are fourth or beyond? Fourth or more uh, generation? Let me see your hands. Okay. Uh, How many Native American? Native American, do we have people that have a percentage of, of, of Native American? Well, Deuteronomy 10, okay, right over here, oh yeah, we got to get that in. Okay, thank you very, very much, all right. Our percussionist, all right, that, okay. Um, Deuteronomy 10, verses 18 and 19. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Uh, verse 19, and you are to love those who are foreigners, For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Deuteronomy 14, at the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, 
and the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied. And so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Isn't that interesting? That God's blessing is tied. God's blessing on a nation, God's blessing on people is how we treat the most vulnerable. Deuteronomy 24. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. Now, again, I just want to point out, it is shocking to find this concern uh, for immigrants in 1400 B.C. It was a dog-eat-dog world. You won't find this anywhere else in Hammurabi's Code or any of the Babylonian or Egyptian writings of that time, of antiquity. You won't find that anywhere. And all of a sudden, like a lightning bolt across a dark sky, God's fingerprints are all over uh, the book of Deuteronomy. It it is absolutely uh, remarkable, the concern not just for the immigrant, but for all those that are vulnerable. This is not 1400 B.C., Middle East, was not a place of concern for the vulnerable. The vulnerable were stepped on and taken advantage of. Uh, Those that had the power exercised their power. Those that were weak were trampled on. And yet in God's word, Even in the Old Testament, obviously in the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, we find this thing going on that can only be fingerprints from heaven. Deuteronomy 24, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you uh, to do this. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that, here's where God's blessing comes from, the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Psalm 146, the Bible says, The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. Malachi 3, verse 5 So I will come to put you on trial. Now God, every one of us are going to stand before God in trial someday. All of us are going to stand before him. And here are the kind of things we're going to be judged for. So I'm like, I want to pay attention to that list. So I'll come to put you on trial. I'll be quick to testify against sorcerers. Okay, that makes sense. Adulterers. Okay, got that. Perjurers. Against those who defraud laborers of their wages. Employers that don't pay their employees enough, they will stand in judgment side by side with the sorcerers and the adulterers. Okay, so all of you on church staff, uh, Samantha, Courtney, I see you all here. If the church doesn't pay you enough, um, uh, we, we stand up there in judgment day with the sorcerers and the adulterers and the perjurers. And those who oppress the widows and the fatherless, And deprive the foreigners among you of justice. Deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says uh, the Lord Almighty. Hebrews 13, verse 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And then the third thing is to walk humbly with your God, the opportunity for missions. I want to end on this because this is something we can all agree on. 
This is something we can all agree on. By the way, I forgot to say this point, but I want to say this. You know what I think is wonderful about our church? There's just a hundred reasons I love my church. I love our church. Um, you know, we have great diversity of opinion within our church. <laughs> we have more diversity in multiple areas than any other church that I know. And do you know, I think that is so helpful. Because when you, we have diversity of opinion, I mean, there are churches that are 100% one way. Then there are churches that are 100% the other way. And nobody grows that way because we're all just in our own echo chambers, right? But here at Purpose Church, you may sit in a Bible study with somebody that has very different views from you. Um, you, 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 may sit, you may be sitting right now um, next to somebody who has different views. As a matter of fact, just turn to the person next to you and tell them who you voted for in the last election. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. Everybody fist fights breaking out across the audience. I feel like Paul, who Paul was on trial. This is so random. I'm so sorry. I'm off on a tangent. And you guys are ready to lead in worship, right? Okay, I'm so sorry. But I love it when Paul, when Paul's on trial and he, and he stands up and he goes, I am on trial for the resurrection. And all of a sudden the Sadducees and Pharisees all start having fist fights and everything. Right? That didn't have anything to do with anything. Okay, here we go. But I love that about our church. Because it is so hard for me, it's so easy to demonize somebody of a different position if I don't know anybody from that position. But when they're a brother or sister in Christ, I mean, some of the people I love and like the most within our church family have different views than I do on what I would call non-essentials, not on the essentials, like the, the, uh, the death of Jesus on the cross for our sins and the resurrection of Christ and the second coming and, and, and Christ alone for our salvation and the authority of God's word. No, no, no. We, don't, we want to have unity on those things. But on other things, we can have diversity. And in all things, charity. Love is what makes it all happen. But I do want to end with something we all can agree on, the opportunity for missions. Regardless of your position on, on immigration, regardless of where you stand on different political or strategic positions, I think we'd all admit, admit or can see that God is using it for his purposes. God is using it. There are two ways that the world comes to Christ. Either people that are far away from God we send somebody, like the missionary that was just up here sharing, we as a church financially and prayerfully support somebody, like the young man I was just interviewing, to go to those countries. Or either we go to the world or the world comes to us. And how many of you think that God is bringing the world to us here in Southern California? Let me see your hands. God's bringing the world to us, isn't it? We, regardless of how we stand on this issue, we have got ourselves a mission field that's right here in our own backyard. I, I love, um, as a matter of fact, the praise team can come up on this. Uh, I, I love these two verses from Solomon. When Solomon built this spectacular temple in, in Jerusalem, this tremendous temple. And, and, this, and he prayed the dedication over this. And here's what he prayed. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel. This is somebody who doesn't know God and they are in another country, but has come from a distant land, so they've come from a distant land, and they don't know God, because of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when they come and pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. Anybody want to say amen to that? That's what we're about. 
Everybody everywhere following Jesus. Say that out loud with me together. Everybody everywhere following Jesus. So that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your own people Israel. And may know that this house I have built bears your name. Lord, I pray that anything that I've shared, it's not of you will disappear from people's minds the moment they leave this room or they turn off this broadcast or they stop listening to this podcast. But any area where your word has kind of softened our heart or influenced our heart, Lord, we are open to that. We we want to hear what you want to say uh, to us here today. And so we just give you our whole heart, with our whole heart, Lord, with an open heart, with our hold heart, whole heart. Would you hold us now? Hold us. Hold our hearts. Influence our hearts so that we will be representatives of Jesus. Uh, we will be ambassadors of God in a time of great division and controversy. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's family said, amen.